This is What Happens If with Daniel and Jan on Joy. This is what happens if on Joy 94.9. And tonight we're asking what happens if I learn a language. Mm. Um, as as we so often do, we tend to go highbrow first, <laughs> yeah, drop off right. towards the end. Yeah, yeah, just slowly get tired. Uh, would you like to introduce our first guest? I think I will. Um, we've got with us um, Dr. Debbie Lokes. She is a researcher in linguistics at, the, at Melbourne University. Thanks for joining us, Debbie. Hi, thanks for having me. Now, I hope you're not offended, but you're not our first doctor. Like we said, we do go highbrow, and we've had doctors on before. So you've got a lot to live up to, Dr. (laughs) Debbie. (laughs) Very good. I'm glad to hear it. (laughs) So just by way of sort of introducing people to you and to your work, um, what what area of linguistics do you focus on, if any, and um, how do you work at um, Melbourne University? Yeah, so I'm actually a phonetician, so I'm interested in uh, speech sounds mostly and how accents change, how languages change, and um, how people talk, tell something about them, actually. So I'm interested in all those little things that people do so, uh, with their voice. Well, that's interesting. So what are some specific things that might be uh, specific to Australians, for example? So, well, pretty much the entire accent. So our yeah. accent is, <laughs> is probably um, the closest accent that you can find to Australian English is probably New Zealand English and also standard Southern British English. Um, but we do have um, unique vowels in Australia. And one of the ones, I guess, is um, the vowel in a word like he. So often it might be pronounced something like he. So you get those kind of unique little Australian flavours. Sounds like my grandma. She lives, <laughs> she lives near Coles Harbour. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, oh, yeah, I guess that's one of them. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no, of course, of course. <laughs> And so, so how do you, you said you, you said you um you look into how uh, accents or dialects change over time. So how do you think about um, word formation or I guess dialect formation? And is that a cultural process or is it just something that occurs? I would say um, yes. Yeah, so fundamentally, languages are rule based, and those rules can change over time if the community agrees. So I guess in terms of something being cultural. Um, I've had a little bit of a think about this question um, and I would say it's more language rule-based except you can find things that are cultural. So in Australia, for example, people talk about that we have a relaxed kind of culture, so shortening words is something that happens a lot. Um, so if you make a new word or if you make a new nickname, you might, for example, say Sharon is Shazza and I've heard the Prime Minister refer to as ScoMo, so that's something quite <laughs> informal that we do in Australia, but... Largely, it's more rule-based. You know, we add plurals by adding an S in most cases in English. Um, If we have a new word and we need to make a plural, we simply add an S. So those are more rule-based kinds of um, processes. So what kinds of uh, effects does language have on... uh, Does language learning have on the human brain? Is it healthy to learn new words, sounds, patterns, that sort of thing? Yes, it is. So it's never unhealthy to learn a new language. Um, and the, the cognitive benefits are um, becoming more and more known as we go on in terms of what we can understand about the human brain and about the human experience. So um, it's said that bilingual children have 
great advantages and also even in adulthood it's much harder to learn a language but it's cognitively advantageous to learn a new language so it's a challenge on your brain um, those damn bilingual <laughs> children i'm so jealous of them um my niece is one is she yeah, yeah, what, yeah. what does what else does she speak well or does my... she speak english <laughs> yeah, well, okay. actually, she speaks nothing at the moment. Oh, okay. But, um, but, but this is actually really interesting because she speaks nothing, but she clearly is starting to almost say English words, but she understands her mother, whose mother tongue, she's from Colombia, her mother's from Colombia. Oh, wow. So she's got a mother tongue that she's learning and listening to and responds to, but she's almost saying English words. So she's at this really fascinating crossroads. So is uh, that, yeah. is that the ideal age? Um, Debbie, is it, is it, is it from birth? Is that the best time to learn a language? Is there a moment? Is there a window? Yes. And am I in it? it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not in it. Oh, oh come on. <laughs> <laughs> so you sound above eight, but it, it is an advantage for adults as well. But, um, most of it shows that infanthood and even before birth, children are tuning into what they're hearing spoken in the environment around them. Um, so it often takes children longer to learn to speak if they're um, bilingual, but once they can speak, those advantages show. And being able to talk to more people is always a healthy thing as well. Seems like this would have this would have it sort of leads me on to this question about about our political debates, and it feels like that there are clearly benefits for for us being a more bilingual friendly society, if that's phrasing it correctly. And I hope I am because we're yes. talking about language. But it yeah, feels like there true. are clear political benefits, even even amongst people who are speaking English to each other, um, to be better at language uh, as an idea. But being bilingual would seem to be just an improvement for everyone. Um, absolutely. And the more people that you can talk to is always an advantage. I mean, that's something that, of course, a linguist would say, but um, hopefully people out there in the community agree with that as well. Um, so in terms of... Um, Politics, I guess it depends what you're, what you're thinking about. So language in itself is a political, it can be a political act. Um, in Australia, we pretty much have um, mainstream standard Australian English as the language used in education, in media, um, any institution that you can think of. Yet Australia has hundreds of Indigenous languages um, and there's a lot of um, people out there that speak Aboriginal languages um, that we're well before English, so you know there's those kinds of um, political things we can think about as well. In terms of, um, say, for example, in New Zealand, they study, they they learn different Maori languages. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. Uh, would... um, I believe they only just um, learn Maori itself. Um, uh-huh. I believe. I'm not sure about the different dialects. Okay, um, right. But they do. And in apparently in New South Wales, I believe um, a lot of schools are teaching Indigenous language as well, and I guess that's happening in some other parts of Australia as well. It's certainly not happening all over Victoria, but there are certainly some places where Aboriginal languages are being taught in kindergarten um, and in schools. I know that's the case in Mildura. They're learning Barkindji in some of the kinders and some of the schools around there. Um, that's certainly the ones I know about anyway, um, but it's not across the curriculum like it is in New Zealand. Do we have a a good track record of preserving languages? I mean, we we have a successful multicultural society, but mm-hmm. it feels like I don't know. Uh, is this just my sort of I guess my lived experience of it? But it feels. I mean, so as an example, mm-hmm. my grandmother was fluent in Italian. Yeah. Uh, yet I 
probably only remember what I learned from doing distance education in high school and then dropped it. Yeah. So that's sort of the death of Italian in my family across yeah, two mean, generations. How do we think about preserving yeah. languages? So Australia is not really known for its um, multilingual nature like some other places. Um, some some people say that Australia has a pretty monolingual culture in a way. Um, so no, there's not a great record for preserving language. So even in you're talking about your um, experience with Italian, and I guess um, you know historically it hasn't been prized to speak more than one language, and hopefully that's changing now. Um, and also in terms of Indigenous languages, a lot of those have been lost as well. People um, didn't understand, and um, I think previously there was about 300 distinct languages, and now there's about 20 that are being um, learnt by children as a first language. Um, and there's certainly a lot of efforts going on to preserve languages now, but it's certainly not been the case in the past. So that you're spot on with that one. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, but that surely that has a lot to do with our geography as well, just due to sheer isolation. Uh, I guess, but when you think about all the languages that were spoken here before um, the colonial. Oh no, I don't mean. I, I mean, uh, yeah, oh, totally. In terms of other languages. Yes. Yeah. Like, oh. so, yeah, in terms of the, um, multicultural society, I guess yes. There's people don't see. Um, why they should learn another language, I guess, if they're not um, experiencing multilingual society around them. So there is that, um, you know, people learn languages when they see that it's going to be important for them, which is another, you know, we talked about politics and language being power. So if you're not seeing it spoken around, if it's not totally normalised to have more than one language, then people have less incentive to want to talk. But we are, we are as, as a nation, sort of historically expectant of people that come here to have learned English as well. Yeah, I mean, historically, absolutely, yes, that, that's the case. Mm. Um, so, yeah. But so then, so almost as if it's not valued, that, mm. that your other language is not valued, you're more ex- expected to assimilate rather than uh, than us learning anything from anyone else. Yeah, absolutely. There is, um, There has been that um, kind of um, feeling, and I guess it still exists for some people as well. And I, I know that... Um, it can be a misunderstanding about children going into school and if they don't have English, um, it's assumed that, you know, um, that they should they should have picked it up in a family home, but for some kids, maybe the first time they're ever getting exposed to English. So, yeah, there's certainly a lot of negativity rather than positivity about having more than one language and if that language is not English, yeah. So how, how do you think about um, technology's effect on the way we communicate and the way that we communicate across languages or across nations. I mean, it feels like we're more exposed to other languages because it's sort of easier to travel than it ever has been ever in the history of us. But yeah. yet yet it feels like that also has an effect on 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 morphing the way we the way we speak to each other or or I guess the Yeah. Um and I guess as a linguist I'm going to have a positive view on that rather than a negative one. Yeah, so right. I think technology is a great thing. I think it just allows more communication amongst different groups of people. Um and so, I mean, one example is text messaging and yes, people use shortened forms of language and hopefully they still understand the lengthened forms. And I think that's where some of the, um, you know, there's, there's a bit of a worry about that amongst certain generations, I think. But, um, generally people are quite literate and able to use text messages and using emojis, um, gives us an extra element that we can put in our written language. So you can have smiley faces and you can use a thumbs down, which is kind of like adding gesture. Um, in a written form. So I think it's great. As a linguist, I think it's great. 
Well, Dr. Debbie, we've got to wrap it up there, but just to finish off, uh, how, how's Jan and I, how's our English been? English good? Good well, English? I can understand you. I like your mainstream English. I'm also talking mainstream English, so I think we worked out well. Yeah, we got through it. I think we communicated well. What are your thoughts on Pig Latin, by the way? Ooh, I remember Pig Latin. Yeah. So, what, was there a question about Pig Latin? No. No, I'm just going to say, ud by gay. Oh, it works for LGBT radio. <laughs> Dr. Debbie Lokes from Melbourne University, an expert in linguistics. Thanks, Dr. Debbie. Thank you so much for joining us.